0: Welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. In Coburg and Port Hope, 550 households will seek help from the Northumberland Fair Share Food Bank on any given week. These people come from a wide range of backgrounds. Unemployed professionals, seniors living on a fixed income, young families, working poor, and youth. For some, it takes courage to overcome the barriers of asking for help. For others, there is little choice as they are unable to find enough work to cover the rising costs of food, rent, gas, and other necessities. Helen Donovan, the CEO of the Food Bank, will tell you many heartbreaking stories of people who come every week to get a few days of food as they struggle. Here is that interview. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Helen Donovan, the CEO of the Fair Share Food Bank. Welcome to Consider This.
1: Thank you very much, Robert. Happy to be with you.
0: The inflation rate for Canada is at 7.7%. The cost of groceries, gas, and rent are at record highs. Are you seeing an increase in the number of people who are coming to the food bank?
1: We certainly are. Uh, In the first six months of this year, our numbers have increased almost 50% in terms of the numbers of people coming. Uh, And our food costs have increased in the range of 27 to 30%. So we are feeding more people more often at a higher price. So the food bank is uh, definitely being challenged to maintain the levels of nutrition and the number of days that we try and provide for since the beginning
0: of the year. Do you know how many people exactly you're serving on on a regular basis on average?
1: Um, On average, in the two communities, we serve uh, about 550 households, and that translates to about 1370 people, and of those people, they come approximately five times um, in that quarter that I'm quoting, so in the last quarter, Q2, for example, um, resulting in almost 7,000 mouths fed, if you like, or fed that many times in, okay. uh, in the second quarter.
0: For people who don't understand Q2, can you just explain what time <laughs> period that is, please?
1: Yes, I'm sorry. That would be uh, uh, April, May, and June. In March, uh, we had the highest number That we've ever been able to help, Um, and that was uh, that goes back from the to the beginning of time, if you like. There were twenty six hundred visits in March of this year.
0: So I'm clear. You're saying that this past March you set a record for the food bank in the number of people that you served.
1: Yes, we did.
0: How does how do the? I mean, that's just incredible the the numbers that you quoted for the may the April may June period how do they compare to say a year ago can you because we were in the pandemic and and I know there were additional pressures in the pandemic that came to the food bank as well
1: well I think in order to get a proper context you have to go back to pre- pandemic um, this represents about a Uh, I'm going to say 30% increase over the 2019. In 2020 and 2021, our numbers actually dropped for a variety of reasons. Uh, The CERB monies helped families maintain their own uh, ability to purchase their foods and their necessities. And it also, because of the threat of uh, exposure amongst other people, our numbers went down in that period of time. Uh, we weren't surprised by that. It was a provincial trend, quite frankly. Everyone in the, uh, in the province experienced the same thing. Uh, and that partly re- resulted then in that surge in 2022 when those dollars, no longer existed and that savings account had been used up and resources uh, people would have in addition to the other costs of living, the gas prices especially, high costs of rent. And so it became a bit of a perfect storm in early 2022 for a swell of people requiring our assistance.
0: Now you mentioned in your earlier comment that uh, you're wanting to feed them nutritious foods. You were talking about that. Can you explain what that is? What is it that you actually provide to people when they come to the food bank?
1: We provide three to four days supply uh, for each of the members of the family. And we follow the Canada Food Guide in terms of what we provide. So in each and every time that they make a visit, they have the opportunity of, uh, of at least ground beef plus. Ground, ground beef is a very versatile um, uh, meat protein. So that's a given. And then in addition to that, we would have something like maybe chicken, uh, maybe pork, maybe sausages, and then one other, um, what we'd call um, a quick meal kind of solution. So it could be uh, chicken nuggets, that sort of thing. We make sure that what we have, though, is at least two meat proteins. We then have a selection of vegetables, always fresh vegetables, potatoes, carrots, um, and onions are, again, a staple. Plus one green, And when we have the opportunity to augment that, we do as well. Same thing with dairy. There's milk, cheese, yogurt, um, butter, uh, or or margarine. And um, uh, then what else do we have? Oh, of course, the the non-perishables. We have to be mindful of uh, allergies and uh, particularly during the school year. So we do have uh, nut-free products that the children can use in their lunch boxes. And um, then the canned goods are supplemented with a uh, kit that we quite often put together. So, for example, if we have additional kidney beans because of donations at the supermarkets and whatnot, we'll put together a uh, recipe and uh, the ingredients for chili. Last year, we were able to fundraise and we actually gave out some uh, slow cookers. Uh, So we, we try and extend it to a life skill where people come to the food bank, they get their necessities, we encourage them and tell them about certain recipes that might work for them or how they can uh, use leftovers appropriately and that sort of thing. So we try and make it um, a a well-balanced diet for them to have through the week. And now it's it's again a um, a personal relationship that we try and and provide so it's not just simply a transactional uh, experience, it's a, a friendly experience, hopefully a neighborly experience.
0: Did I hear you correctly? you said you give four days worth of food so it, it's yeah. not it's not even a week. and how often can somebody come to the food bank to get food?
1: we Uh, We certainly uh, welcome people on a once a week basis. It was twice, uh, once every two weeks. Um, Originally, when I first uh, began, which is about three years ago, um, our our resources were such that we could increase that a little bit. So we did. So on average, it's between three and four days uh, supply. And um, we portion our foods uh, quite often what we get either because of donations or because of purchase, uh, it's a larger sized product, so we have volunteers who portion that down and we distribute it based on the number of people who are in the family.
0: But I think it's significant, oh, yeah. The I guess what I'm trying to get at is it's significant that it's not, you're not giving people seven days worth of food every week to, to live on. There's still, they still have to provide for themselves to some extent. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: You're understanding it absolutely correctly, yes. So when they have whatever income that they may have and they pay the rest of their obligations, the only bank out there, if you like, in terms of meeting their obligations and then their needs is a food bank. There's no gas bank, there's no insurance bank, there's no um, new tires bank, that type of thing. So um, this is where and why we have become so vital. And if we could, um, you know, increase that from three days to five days a week, uh, that would free up a little bit more money for the people who have other obligations financially, the rents are, are horrendous in the area, all over the province. But sort of, um, you know, in this in Northumberland, uh, housing is a challenge. So, yeah, um, this is our goal. Uh, we we moved from from two days to three and a half, and if we could continue with appropriate funding and volunteers to support, we
0: do more. are the people that are coming to you and in particular the the are there new people you said that there's been this increase so in the people that you feed who are these people that are coming to you are uh, could you describe them as a demographic so we get a picture in our minds of of uh how the situation is maybe changed or are they the same kinds of people can you help us understand who are the people that are coming to you the people
1: are, I would say, a cross-section of society. I have had people that I've chatted with who have held professional uh, roles and have perhaps been uh, impacted by mental health. Um, people who have held jobs with GM and, and, and organizations like that who, whose family broke up. Um, divorce, additional costs, I had one gentleman one day come in and um, uh, his daughter and grandson were ahead of us. And we use a shopping cart model. And I was I was walking with him and he looked at me and he said, you know, I lost my job last April and I've been able to get by until now. And the now was in October but he said um, I wouldn't ordinarily come here but I come to help out my daughter and his eyes were teary and whatnot and then the little fellow who was ahead of him in his mom's arms turned around and he waved with a great big smile and he said hi poppy and then my man had this great big smile as well and it was like you know what I wouldn't ordinarily come here for me my pride suggests it's- you know, not the right thing to do, but I'll do anything for my grandson. So there's a wide variety, there's the working poor, uh, who have minimum wage jobs at part time levels. And uh, stretching that dollar is impossible to to do without the support of, um, of a food bank.
0: In terms of the increase though, are you seeing a particular demographic in terms of age or background that is being hardest hit by these inflationary trends and therefore they're having to turn to a food bank to get support?
1: I would say the increase right now is largely the working poor. Um, Those are the people who, to get to work, uh, it costs them more to fill their tank of gas um that have uh, had to perhaps endure some cutbacks at, at work uh, haven't seen increases in their in their salaries in a while um, young people who um, are perhaps tampered in some way uh, in their ability to hold down a job um, they have begun to come it's it's sad to see so many young people, um, depend on us we're happy to be there of course but um you just wish that you could inject an element of uh, optimism and, and hope and it's it's interesting that you think people um you know sort of take advantage sometimes that can sometimes be the perception um but such is not the case it's um It's really heartwarming to see those that come be very aware of not taking more than they should take, someone else might need it. But the demographics, I guess more to your point, is right across the board. It's, um, we've had some um, Syrian families come that changes our need, for example, to some specialty foods, which we try to provide for them um, to support their culture.
0: Um, what about seniors?
1: Seniors, absolutely. Uh, we don't see the senior increase. We know that it's there, and this we were about to launch a program called SOS, which was support our seniors um, to to basically connect with them. The seniors have a mindset of a stigma attached and are not coming and should be coming. And we need to get that message out to the senior community that we welcome them and we're happy to help and that they should look after their health and look after themselves and even from the social perspective of having interaction with others. So we had to put the SOS program on the back shelf for a little bit of time. We need more funding to support that um, because our numbers went up so much, we couldn't take on a new program, if you like. So uh, if we get funding and and more importantly, people to volunteer to help us, uh, we can certainly relaunch. We have the program all ready to go, but we do need support from the community to do that.
0: I'll come back to that a little bit later. But right now, I'd like to ask you, how is the situation with your inventory? Where are you sourcing food to distribute? Well, food comes
1: to us from three sources, primarily. Um, Food for all is the county warehouse, if you like, which gets um, product from Feed Ontario. And we get about 30% of our food from them, and that can be a variety of uh, basic necessities, tin goods, uh, sometimes there's frozen product. About 30% also then comes from donations we get through food drives. The uh, Coburg police have been especially supportive of having cram the cruisers. And um, then the other amount comes from... Monetary donations, which we in turn then purchase what we need. So uh, those are the the sort. Of, that's the breakdown in in what provides us with our supplies. We source wherever we can to get the best bang for our buck. And um, my husband actually does a lot of the purchasing, and uh, he has arrangements now with people who maybe uh, have a product that's getting near expiry, but can be frozen and kept and distributed. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we purchased 1,100 pounds of chicken, uh, which sounds wonderful until you get your hands into 1,100 pounds of chicken and you start to, to portion it out so that it feeds families of two, four and six. And then by the time you're finished, you don't wanna see any more chicken for a while. Um, but that's that's where our food supplies come from, and we try and maintain a, a, a at least a three week inventory on on site in both locations.
0: Now that three week inventory, have you been successful recently in being able to meet that, or has there been pressure for you to meet that three week inventory?
1: Um, there has. We've not been unable to do it. Let's put it that way. So we, we're, we're okay for uh, what we have on the shelf for the three weeks. And we keep that as a rolling three weeks. So we haven't experienced running out of food. We have uh, sufficient funds that if it's not coming in through the other two sources that we would purchase the food. But of course, we try and keep As much as we can uh incoming by way of of donations and uh what we get from food for all Uh, but no we haven't we haven't run out of anything
0: i want to make sure that the listeners understand how precarious that is because while you say you've got it and you have the resources of course this all depends that people continue to donate that they continue to participate can you talk a little bit about how important it is that I know you do big drives, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, those kinds of big times. But in between, how important is it that you have that sort of flow of cash and of food uh, in order to keep your inventory up?
1: It's extremely important. Uh, we deal with, um, on our website, you'll see uh, the opportunity to donate and Canada helps support that. So monthly donations are probably the ideal situation because we're able to project what it is that we're going to have in the way of our funding and what we can rely on on a monthly basis. We certainly welcome the ad hoc additional funding that we get, but knowing that we have um, uh, an ongoing support from the community members is very, very worthwhile. Right now, we're spending um, $27,000 to $30,000 a month in food. So, as you can imagine, um, you need a fair amount of money to do that. And that's just what we're spending. That's not taking into consider, consideration what we are getting from other sources. So, um, you know, an, an online donation on a monthly basis, whether it's $10 or $100 uh, or more, um, certainly allows us to plan and budget and um, uh, know where our money is going to come from.
0: Let's talk about the money for a moment. Financially, how would you say you're doing?
1: I would say um, we should never take our eye off the ball because there will always be a need and at times there will be an unplanned need. So we can't get complacent. We have been fiscally responsible, and you probably have noticed that from our audit. And we did get grants through the COVID period of time from governments. And that enabled us to, um, if you like, get our internal structures and safety requirements and so on in place. Um, But We need every dollar that we can get, quite frankly, and we will uh, continue to to need that and we'll continue to be able to introduce new programs so that the whole idea of a food bank um, is is not an emergency services anymore. It has become a necessity uh, for many families to get them through from one end of the month to the other. Uh, I can't stress that enough. I think uh, it's a community uh, responsibility, I guess. And and there's anywhere from 80 to 100 volunteers. And you can imagine the the dollar value of those hours from volunteers. Uh, There's the community of nations, but it's not a we day. It's a community uh, funded, community supported responsibility that the young people in our area are well fed that they have an opportunity to um, know that they can um, have full buddies when they 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 go to to, to school and uh, the seniors in our community should not be missing out on having a, a fresh orange or a fresh piece of fruit because It's just beyond their pension money to be able to purchase. I'm sorry, I get a little bit, um, what should I say? A little bit passionate about it at this point in time because we are such a a wealthy country. And when you stand next to someone in the supermarket who shakes their head and says, "I, I love oranges, but I just can't afford to buy them anymore. Uh, and you know that that orange is nutritious and it should be on that person's plate. Um, that's when I get a little a little upset by the fact that um, some people are suffering f- from lack of nutritious food.
0: No need to apologize. I'd like to go back, <laughs> though, to the finances. What is, what is your annual budget?
1: Um, our operating budget is about $475,000 a year.
0: In your audited statement though, it, you look to have a total of over a million dollars. Did I read that incorrectly?
1: You didn't um, through the Serb, or not pardon me, not Serb. through the COVID time, we were recipients of um, grants, government grants and some business funding that uh, increased our bottom line for that period of time. Uh, it gives us a contingency fund of about $400,000 right now, uh, which we feel is appropriate. We, we feel that to have uh, a one to two year um, secure fund in the bank for any uh, board that comes along for any necessity that comes along for any emergency that comes along is a wise way to manage the business. But we We try to um, have our operating budget supported by our donations on an annual basis. And our savings in the bank, if you like, is there for the eventuality that something unforeseen uh, should happen. And we all know that those sorts of things do happen. It's a first for us to be able It's only in in, um, the last couple of years where that additional funding has been put away and safely guarded. Um, The first year that I was involved, three years ago, we had an operating budget projection of a minus $35,000. So uh, this little bit of extra which came through COVID. Uh, has been a bit of a godsend in order for us to to feel secure in maintaining our services uh, over the long term and not just a uh, hand-to-mouth kind of situation.
0: I saw going over the numbers a, a loss in fundraising during the pandemic uh, almost a half uh, over a year period. Can you talk a bit about what happened there and, and what you're doing now to remedy uh- that?
1: Well, the fundraising typically involved events, uh, which brought people together, which wasn't possible during COVID for a variety of reasons. So we would have a golf tournament, for example, um, or events where people came together and uh, shared their donations and had a party of some sort, celebration of some sort. So that was a large part of how we raised our funds initially. And none of that was possible during COVID. Uh, We will be fundraising this fall. Um, We had a change of board just two weeks ago and um, we deliberately, if you like, waited until we could plan. This is our 35th anniversary so we will be doing a fundraising program uh this fall to be launched hopefully by the end of september Uh, and that hopefully will will augment what we normally would have raised in fundraising dollars and uh, we just need to put our team together and anyone who's in the listening audience who likes to fundraise we're more than happy to take uh, take your expertise and your enthusiasm and add it to the team we It's a skill set that uh, is pretty unique, but very valued in the charity business. Uh,
0: I understand earlier you mentioned that you have quite a large staff. Um, How are you finding it for uh, getting volunteers to staff the operation? How many do you need and how many do you have?
1: Uh, On a regular basis, we have between 80 and 100 volunteers there's an incredible amount of work which the ordinary person is not going to be aware of um, that takes oodles of volunteer hours and we are a total volunteer organization at this point in time although we we may be hiring um someone to to offset some of the responsibilities but um uh, i would like to have a what I would call a bullpen of volunteers, so that uh, our regulars have a bit of an opportunity to have a reprieve. um, When they go on vacation that there's someone able to step in additional volunteers would also mean that we could do more. There's a lot of opportunity, for example, for people to not even come into the operation, they can they can do volunteer work from home, they can call our donors and thank them or they can uh, write notes or they can contact businesses and they can establish relationships and network throughout the community and get the good news out there as to what we're doing and what we can do uh, to increase our reach. So COVID really put a damper on the networking opportunities. We had volunteers come in and manage the program for two years without a break and um, most of us are seniors uh, and so realistically we, if, if we had a wish list we'd love some younger uh, able-bodied people who can uh, help move a box more easily than some of us with back issues uh, that's probably the, the, the biggest search if if this podcast reaches anyone, is is, um, uh, people who who have the strength and the ability to help out with some of the physical lifting and uh, physical activities that go along with being active in a food bank.
0: In the past, I have heard your predecessors uh, say, it is very hard for people to come to the food bank. And you've even referenced it today in our conversation. Is it getting any easier these days? Is there still a stigma around using the the food bank and just how desperate do people have to get before they arrive on your doorstep?
1: I think the stigma still exists. I think within the community, the society at large that uh, it's felt that if you have to go to the food bank, Uh, It's because you haven't managed properly or you can't hold a job um, and that you should be able to look after yourself. Um, However, I think that's a misrepresentation of the truth. And I think that as people experience a food shortage and realize that what they thought they could do in terms of supporting their family or looking after their family is no longer possible, uh, then they, I guess, give in to the fact that coming to the food bank is a sensible thing to do. If you look back over the last 20 years The last generation, if you like, life's been relatively good for most people. Um, And realizing today that what the parents took for granted is not necessarily available getting your own place to live and having a car and all the things that um, seem to be the natural progression as you came into adulthood suddenly it's not quite the same. And, and um, if you do wanna have uh, a life of your own, if you like, then um, it's, it's pretty difficult. So the stigma is probably reducing a little bit, but not sufficiently to um, remove it entirely.
0: If you could sit down in front of a listener and speak to them directly, What would you want to be the one takeaway that they take that they go away with from this conversation?
1: I believe the reality of requiring assistance from a food bank is a reality that any one of us could experience. And if you put yourself in that position of feeding your family or feeding yourself and you realize that um, your community is there to help you then you would welcome that neighborly exchange and that is the non-judgmental effort that we put in as volunteers. And it's partly why we refer to the people who come to help as our neighbors. And if you go back, I come from Newfoundland. And, you know, it was a neighborly thing to do to assist someone with a cup of sugar or a cup of flour or help build a house or whatever, whatever it was, the community and the neighbors came together. And that's what we're doing. That's what we should be doing. It's our little world here in Northumberland. It's um, the right thing to do. It makes you feel good when you do it. Uh, It makes you feel aware of your blessings if you are not currently in need. But don't any of us think for a moment that tomorrow could be different. There could be a disaster that puts any one of us in need of support. And I think that's the message I would like for people to get is that we do this collectively because today we're helping someone and tomorrow someone may be helping us.
0: What's next for the food bank?
1: Well, (laughs) I wish we could close down, but that's not gonna happen. Um, We will continue to get better at what we do in reaching out to the people in the community that need us. Uh, An example of that was last August, we began a uh, delivery program, recognizing that some people are just not able to get to the food bank, they rely on someone else uh, for transportation. Uh, or there's their moms or dads at home with young children. They can't uh, they can't get there. So we began a program primarily in Coburg, um, which delivers food. They people can call in and and if you'd like, we tell them what we have and they tell us what they want and and then a group of volunteers deliver it on a once a week basis. So that was an, an expansion to our services. Um, We also, as I said, um, feel that we can provide life skills, that we can partner, and this was our original plan for pre-COVID, partner with um, other professionals in the community, whereby um, perhaps someone from legal aid is on site once in a while, maybe a veterinarian is on site once in a while, Uh, someone who has extra skills of some sort can share those skills. Um, food is the basic necessity that we all have. So when we bring people people together uh, to to get food, we can capitalize on that. And that's that's our plan in both locations. Unfortunately, uh, that plan would have been launched two years ago, um, and it'll have to be redesigned now because life has changed. Um, But that's where we, we hope to go, to make it a more all-inclusive experience for the person who comes.
0: Helen Donovan, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: That was Helen Donovan, CEO of the Northumberland Fair Share Food Bank. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today.